Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and I'm thrilled to have Eve Rodsky back on the podcast to help us find our unicorn space. This is a conversation that's different from our typical conversations because it really centers around you, not the kids, not the partners, you. And in doing so, of course, everybody's better off for it. This is not a luxury. This is definitely a have to not a want to, but it can feel like a want to. And that is why I love Eve Rodsky because she really walks through how to give ourselves permission to explore our creativity and to experience flow and to experience well-being in a way that is manageable in this insane time. And I want to encourage everyone to go sign up if you haven't already for my newsletter, Dr. Aliza dot bulletin dot com. There's also an exclusive subscription that is for a smaller group of people. It's four ninety nine a month. So I wanted it to be super accessible. I want to be able to have conversations live and taped Q and A's and talk more about how to put into action the concepts in the podcast. So go to dreliza.bulletin.com. And if you haven't already, don't forget to give a five-star rating and write a little review. Okay, that's enough of asking things from you. Now I want to give you this gift of Eve Rodsky and finding your unicorn space. I feel like you have embodied the research on how we need to care for ourselves in such a concrete way and such an inspiring way. And there, there cannot be more psychologists saying, put your oxygen mask on first and take time for yourself and care for yourself. But it's getting translated in these ways that are like, take a bath or go to a spa. <laughs> and you have figured out a much more actionable, embodied way of what this means. So I just want to dive into, can you tell us what your unicorn space is? Well, one of them what is a, being here with you. Uni- collective <laughs> unicorn spaces. Yes, yes. Well, I think... It's really important to understand that creativity is associated with daily flourishing. And so that's why it became so important to me, Eliza, because I understood that, you know, Adam Grant's word of 2021 was languishing. And then on top of that, 
interviewing 750 people. I mean, we're in the thousands now in terms of our CRM database, but in 750 interviews that mirrored the U.S. Census, not just people of the 9.9%, but I'm looking at, I was looking at creativity in 17 countries um, and all different types of family structures. What you see is that the antidote to burnout is not taking a walk around the block anymore. It's not grabbing a drink with a friend. It's really being interested in your own life. And in late stage capitalism, the idea of being interested in your own life and not looking at yourself as capital in service of somebody else, whether it's your roles as a parent and or a partner and or a professional, is actually extremely subversive and hard to do. And that's what unicorn space is. It's a space for the active pursuits that make you come alive to guard your time as if it's your most valuable currency in a culture where we've been taught, especially as women, to give it away for free to everybody else since since we've been conditioned as, as little girls. I just said to a, a mom who's been on this podcast before, a friend of mine, I said something about how meaningful it is when she says yes to people, because I think her voice is very powerful. And she said, you know, I know that that's meaningful. I've really internalized that. I have not been able to say no. Like, that's what I'm working on. It was such an interesting framing that I hadn't really thought about. And then I was, of course, reading your book and realized, and you're going to get into that because I'm going to ask you to talk through how we can learn to say no. But I wanted to ask first, can you define using the structure that you talked about in the book or however you want to do it, the three C's, can you define what you mean by creativity? Because that in and of itself is such a tricky, there are so many of us that, that wonder what creativity really is and that it's not just, you know, the traditional use of the word creativity. Well, I redefined it as unicorn space because I thought it was actually really powerful to understand that creativity, when you look at the research around creativity, is not just a paintbrush. And ironically, Aliza, a creative life is a connected life. I think often we, I was at that immersive Van Gogh exhibit and you see this uh, man in a studio with his ear cut off, right? I think that too many of us have associated creativity with solo pursuits. But what I found in people who identified as creative, people who said to me that they were sitting in self-actualized lives, what correlated with those interviews kept coming up over and over again, as, as you said earlier, the three C's, a unicorn space, metaphorical, physical space to take up is mythical. It doesn't exist until we reclaim it. So what am I asking people to reclaim? Again, I'm not asking people to reclaim a CBD oil pedicure or commodified wellness. What I'm asking people to to reclaim is a practice of three things. It's a practice of, as you said, the three C's. The three C's of a curiosity, connection with others, that's the second one, and a completion. So if we'd use your podcast as an example of a unicorn space, I will attribute to you, I'm going to say your podcast is a unicorn space for you. It can be more tricky when it starts to be your profession, then you really need adult friendships and self-care to round it out so you don't get burned out. But what I will say about this unicorn space, you get curious about a topic. What does it look like to raise a good human? 
You decide who you're going to bring on. You connect with those people. And then you do the hard thing of actually editing and completing it. Even if you don't like the questions you asked, even if you didn't like the direction where the interview went, you said, okay, I'm brave and not perfect, as my good friend Rashma Sujani says, and I completed something. That cycle over and over again of curiosity plus sharing with the world, connecting with others, and completions are very, very important for our mental and physical health. I would actually argue it's probably more important than exercise because it combats two things. It combats the overwhelm and boredom that people told me they felt when they were in their three P roles of parenting, partnering, and professionalism and professionalizing or whatever you want to call that verb. But on top of it, (laughs) it actually combats the other pandemic we're going through, which is a pandemic of loneliness. I was wondering what my unicorn space was. I was actually wondering, can I acknowledge that this podcast is my unicorn space? Because yes, it is adjacent to my work and in my field, but it is so exactly what you said. And I wasn't sure if that was cheating. (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I, I see it for you. But I think it's a good example that, you know, when you host a podcast as opposed to listen to one, that's a different part of the brain. Self-care is listening to a podcast. Self-care is eating pie. That's how I got through the pandemic, at least I'm an emotional eater. Mm. But um, baking a pie and sharing it with a neighbor, again, activates different centers of our brain. It activates different centers of our feelings. And to nerd out for a minute, what I was looking for, the needles in the haystack that actually was not needles in the haystack, I found, as I said, 750 uh, people that I decided were this interview set of people who were actively starting to relive a creative life. And what was interesting about them is they all understood that it was a practice. That's what I thought was so interesting, that it's not a one and done or, you know, even nerding out that a lot of people understood that happiness without meaning is a lot of what we've been using for coping, right? It's drinking, it's the binge-watching Netflix. They understood that meaning without happiness mm-hmm. is something too. That's care, It's associated with caregiving. And we know that people would rather sit in a doctor for a root canal, dentist for a root canal, than take care of a toddler. By people, I mean the studies and me. That's, <laughs> that's me. Um, but then there's this really interesting place, a sweet spot where happiness and meaning overlap. And the practice of getting into that zone whether it's just one hour a day or one hour a week, but understanding that happiness and meaning can coalesce and converge. And when they do, you feel a flow state. You feel that time, where did the time go? You feel alive again. Those are the feelings that are associated with occupying one of your, hopefully many in your life, your unicorn spaces. What are the barriers to finding your unicorn space? And how does somebody who has really just not taken the time to give themselves that pause that you talk about to get creative, how do they start? Well, such a good question, because I think it really depends on what someone's hurdle is. But the universal hurdles, which is why this book, Aliza couldn't just jump into the three C's, even though I was so excited to see them over and over again. I'm like, oh my God, this is something, right? These curiosities and connection and completions are happening with people in their unicorn Mm -hmm. spaces. I had to honor my data. And so whether that's a downer 
before as um, actually someone who listened to me on your on your podcast before this, a man walked up to me and said, I heard you on Raising Good Humans and um, you really like to go dark to go light. I was like, well, thank you. I think that's a skill. Um, so the darkness <laughs> is that there are hurdles. And over and over again, people, minoritized populations, whether that's women, people of color, people who haven't necessarily been able to take up space, often reported to me that the permission to be unavailable from their roles, this idea they've been conditioned to be available. If one woman said to me, Kim, a shout out to you, if I'm not available, who would I even be? Availability is tied to my mm. identity. The permission to be unavailable, the permission to really burn guilt and shame or to put it in its place so it doesn't affect your decision-making, and this permission to ask for what we need are all the three biggest hurdles. And have you found pushback on folks who feel like they're being selfish? Because I know how inspiring you are. I know from hearing people respond to you. I mean, after I had you on the first time, I, I'm having you on quite close together. <laughs> but it was so game-changing for so many people listening. So especially the moms listening. I wonder about speaking to those moms who who are struggling to not still hear that conventional, like just lie that we've all heard about. That's not our place. Like it's just, we're selfless. We're martyrs. We're going to do all of this and we can do all of this. I know you know how to speak to that mom. I just want to give you the microphone to do it here. Well, I would say that I want to center my mother for a second, who was a single mother who came out of a toxic, patriarchal um, Syrian Jewish family where her path was to get married at 17 to somebody 10 years older. And instead, she said she was shamed her whole life, uh, especially as a single parent. Can you imagine, Eliza, you know, leaving your kids home alone as latchkey kids to pursue your dream of being a social worker, um, to help others, to, to help them community organize for social justice. So what I would say to those people who think it's selfish to have sustained attention for things that make you come alive is really an answer that was given to me by this wonderful woman named Kat Medina. I interviewed her and she has a very busy life. She was raising a toddler at the time when I interviewed her. Her husband was an auto mechanic with really strange hours. She um, was working a full-time job at Sam's Club. And one night, she was reading to her son in another room, and her husband walked in, and he thought there was like a CD playing or some radio program on. And he walked in, he said, wait, that was you reading to our son? You sounded like a narrator, like a professional narrator. And she got it in her head that that could be a really cool thing to be curious about. What would it look like to narrate an audiobook? So serendipitously, there was a clearance, a microphone on clearance at Sam's Club where she worked. And she plugs it into her husband's borrowed laptop and finds this website where you can record. And she records princesses behaving badly, which I thought was such a great irony. Um, and within a week, she gets a call. She gets a call that she booked her first audiobook. 
And she talks about this experience, this hour of going and reading this book. And then she tells me that right shortly after that, she goes to a tattoo parlor to tattoo on her arm. Reading books is like breathing air. And she then reports her mother is like, why don't you hold your horses? Like you just, you read like one audio book and you're already tattooing (laughs) this on your arm. But what she said to me was something I saw in my data over and over again. She said back to her mother, yes, I'm tattooing it on my arm because that experience could never be taken away from me. And so if we look at our lives as one inspirational quote that we have to learn to dance in the rain, it's raining. So do you want to drown or do you want to have some umbrella? It doesn't mean that the rain is going to stop. But these experiences, these unicorn space experiences, when we can say our most important thing that we did that day is actually outside of our roles sometimes. They become armor, Aliza. They become armor for the more mundane and hard parts of our lives. And we need that armor now. Otherwise, what I asked Kat, I said, so what was your life like before you were narrating audiobooks? And she said to me, well, what's the opposite of breathing air? Ooh. And so now more than ever, to your point, the rain has not stopped. So if in the beginning of the last couple of years, it was all anybody could do to survive, to just get through the day, whatever, however you can, it's now more clear than ever that that isn't actually how we're going to survive. No. So no, (laughs) absolutely not. And it's more than languishing. This is an urgent call to understand that we can no longer live like this. We can't live in service of others. You may think now that that's okay. And by the way, with one child, when I had um, Zach and I was first a parent, I actually thought I could live that way forever. I don't need any of this crap you're talking about. Like, I love my roles, but I'm here to be the ghost of Christmas future, Elisa, to say that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You may think in the short term it works, but I'm I'm here to tell you that the life-changing magic is not in organizing your junk drawer. It is in the long-term thinking of understanding your whole life trajectory. And now I want to take a break so that I can tell you about my sponsors. OneSkin is a longevity company led by a team of five female PhDs developing solutions to prevent and reverse the way your skin ages. One Skin harnesses the science of aging to develop products that extend the length of time that skin is healthy and youthful. One Skin's topical supplement is a daily moisturizer powered by their proprietary peptide OSO1, the first peptide scientifically proven to reduce the biological age of skin. So you can simplify your skincare routine by ditching your 10 steps and you don't have to compromise results because it's designed to be your all-in-one solution to skin. So it's just one product. And that means you can save time and money because one skin products are the result of thorough research backed by data. And you can waste less time and money on trial and error searching for effective and safe products. Plus, PhD level aging experts all women is pretty cool. That means they have done extensive research and they have firsthand experience that you can trust. Visit oneskin.co 
co slash humans and use the code humans for 15% off your first purchase. The code applies to one-time purchases and the first order of subscription purchases. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O slash humans and use the code humans for 15% off your first purchase. I've only been using it a month and I think my skin looks healthier and smoother and more hydrated. I love smiling. What I do not love are all the toxic ingredients in most dental care products. They're not good for my health and they're not good for my teeth. And I want the best for my oral health. Products made with natural ingredients that help my smile not harm it. And then I can trust for my kids that they can use a product. That's why I use Lumino. Lumino makes toothpaste, mouthwash, and whitening products that actually help your oral health instead of hurting it. They use purposeful and uncompromising ingredients like sea salt, aloe, and my favorite coconut oils to clean and brighten your smile. Plus, everything they make is certified non-toxic. There will be no harsh bleaches in their products, no artificial dyes, or any alcohol. Everything they make is dentist-formulated, backed by over 50 studies, and proven to protect the good bacteria in your smile, also known as the microbiome. Lumino whitening strips are super effective and perfect for sensitive teeth, which I have, and it only takes 30 minutes to apply and you'll see results in seven days. You know, you don't even realize how much your smile means to you, but when it's a little bit brighter and it feels really good, just makes your day a little bit better. I know you'll love Lumino as much as I do too. So get 15% off your order today by going to G-E-T-L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X dot com slash humans. The code humans is to save 15%. Get Lumino.com slash humans. It's a new year and that is always a great time to discover new things about our interests, about ourselves and for our kids to just get out there and explore. Plus, for a lot of you, it is super cold outside and things can get a little stir crazy. With a KiwiCo subscription, your child can make new discoveries all year long. Kids can explore the engineering and mechanics behind everyday objects, the science of chemistry and cooking, geography and culture from new places, and brand new art and design techniques, all through fun, hands-on products. We did a paper mache globe and it's just so fun to get your hands in it and dirty and it's just satisfying. So your child can get super cool hands-on science art and geography projects delivered to their door every month. The day the box arrives will be so much fun. You will be amazed at how high quality it is. And because I am such a fan of letting kids explore and understand and problem solve. But I'm also a realist and know that there are just days when you wish things would just appear in a box and you don't have to do anything. There's this beautiful marriage of this idea with KiwiCo. Redefine learning with play and get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code humans at KiwiCo. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O dot com promo code humans how do i ask my boss for a raise i'm so jealous of my coworkers' promotion i just don't know what to do is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments you know without sounding like a complete jerk 
Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast, a weekly advice show that takes your workplace dilemmas and offers you a better way forward. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. So I remember somebody saying to me many years ago, I think it was when I first got divorced, what's your hobby? And this is so different from hobbies. And I just, that's why I want to get into that because it pissed me off so much for some reason because I was thinking, what's my hobby? I'm working, I'm a mom, I'm divorced. Now I feel less than because no, I don't have a hobby. I don't have a hobby. And it wasn't even just about the time, although I was thinking, how do you expect me with two young children as a single mom and a single working mom to have a hobby and free time? But the other side of it was I was embarrassed that I just don't have hobbies. Like I have, but I have unicorn space. And so the distinction is so clear. And I just wanted to elaborate on that. I want to hear from you about that because sometimes that's another, that might just be my own. No, for sure. People ask me all the time what the difference is. Yeah. Yeah. So can you get into that? Well, the good news about doing research is you can start seeing that there is a gender difference in how we describe people's behaviors. So whereas men were getting this space, back to why I like the word space, to ideate, to tinker, to have what we call diffuse thinking. Diffuse thinking is like those times in the shower or on a walk where you're like, oh my God, that's a great idea. I'm going to write that down. Men claim that space. Um, I was actually at a bar mitzvah the other day and I was just laughing because this man in front of me had his legs really wide (laughs) in this very man spreading um, position and his arms out over his kids. And he was just taking up so much space. But whereas women, when we try to take up that space for uninterrupted attention for things that we love, it often gets called a hobby, a vanity project, a passion project, mm-hmm. a side hustle, words that actually end up becoming associated with, with things that are infrequent or not necessary. So hobby and infrequent. And a, lo- right, a luxury. A luxury, right? So then it becomes the cycle of guilt and shame comes in because why would I ever devote time to something that's a luxury when I'm already completely, um, my cup, my bucket is empty. So a hobby, because it connotes infrequency and because it's often seen, it was seen in my research as something you go back to, Aliza. Like I go back to strumming guitar because I like to do that in college or I go back Uh to playing chess if I can grab a game in Washington Square Park that's absolutely we're not talking. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about creativity redefined as unicorn space, which is actually, again, associated with daily flourishing. So it's something that has to be incorporated into your life as a practice. And that's why this idea of whether you're in the curiosity stage, whether you're in the early connection stage, or whether you're in a completion phase, that cycle, that practice is linked to our mental health and longevity in a way that that word hobby just never will be. And if you really can't give yourself this gift or sell yourself, it's better for your kids. It's actually going to help them thrive. I know that's not 
Well, it might be what you're talking about too, but I do, I don't mean to say that, you know, this is all in the service of our kids. Just, it happens to be. So it's actually not a disservice for whatever that's worth. It's actually imperative. Yes. Um, And capturing it in this way that you have, it's so clear because I'm definitely a person who associates creativity with something that is just un- unattainable to me. Like that's just not, I, I'm a scientific thinker. I'm not, I just, I don't have a paintbrush. Like I don't strum <laughs> instruments, but I would play chess in the park. Like I just don't even think of my work in any way as creative because I think, oh, well, if it's creative, then it wouldn't be science or something, even though science is very creative in its own right. But that's why I'm clinging to these three C's. I really think we can all be curious about something and we can all connect and we can all complete without perfection. Absolutely. And that is so inspiring. But that's you. I mean, you're so creative. What are you talking about? I mean, people listen to you <laughs> because, and I, the way you present topics are incredibly creative. The way you break them down, you have a Everybody can hear that you have a scientific mind, but the way you translate science is incredibly creative. And I think, again, back to this framework, what's so interesting about it, Aliza, was that people were reacting to different parts of the framework. So as you said earlier, this mm-hmm. there's a big section of the population in the 17 countries I interviewed that said things to me like, I don't even know what it is anymore. It, I, I'm an object at rest. It's physics, <laughs> back to science. Uh, objects in motion, stay at motion, I'm an object at rest. But what was interesting to me in the data was it wasn't just that, I thought that's all I would see, where people saying, well, what could it be? I'm not sure what it is. Um, but actually there was another triggering C that brought up almost as many questions. And that was the C of completion. Because there were the people who didn't know what it was, but then there were also the people who did know what it was. But completion was really triggering for them because this idea, like, I know I want to start a podcast about clown school. Okay, let's just, you know, I actually had one person who (laughs) wanted to talk about their experience attending clown school. Okay, so what do you want to do with that? You want to write a book about it? You want to start a podcast about it? Well, but if I do that, my area is so niche And nobody will listen. And for me, a podcast means I have to get a million downloads. And if it doesn't get a Webby Award or if nobody listens, it's like a tree falling in the forest. Did I even do it at Mm -hmm. all, right? There's all these things that help stop us from completing something because we are conflating it with perfection, especially if you're a woman. We're, We're told, do not say anything. You are seen and not heard until you're excellent, and so what ends up happening is yep. we, we, we wait. And then on top of that, the data shows that we all think we're going to be less busy in three months. So not only do we wait because we're not completing, but then we think there's going to be a time we're going to be less busy. And then you see three months later in the time journals, people are more busy. And they're like, geez, I really did think I was going to be less busy now. So it's so true. Complete, I, I do that all the time. Complete, complete. That's the one that was the most triggering for me when I started this journey completion is not perfection. And whatever your unfinished completions are, we're here to tell you that they are worthwhile. Even if it's sharing a ukulele concert with your children. (laughs) And back to the children's point, your children, when they see you trying and failing or not doing things the same way, I made a mistake. These are things that they have to be able to do life 
without feeling like they're going to give up. So many people in my research said their kids give up if they're not excellent or if they can't do it, they don't perfect the skill fast enough, as fast as their friends. And what a sad society we would be if we all just say, well, we're not excellent, so we should just not try at all. And it is so pervasive, more pervasive in girls. And so it becomes more pervasive in women. I am not afraid to say that. I mean, the research backs this up and I, I really don't know that it's possible to raise girls or any kids, but certainly girls without failing in front of them in such a way that it isn't a thing. Like I would love for, and by the way, it doesn't even mean what what's <laughs> messed up with what I just said is that you didn't say failure. You said not, it doesn't have to be perfect completion. And my brain was like, failure, That's failure, ding, which ding, is ding, great. Yes. But, the, but <laughs> by the way, how great that that just happened because that was very yeah. um, organic, Oops. but also important to understand that if it's not perfect, we do often equate it as a failure, right? And um Sure. And, <laughs> and my son does that to me to, you and, know, and our kids to laugh. He, he, my kids laugh and they'll, they'll use it back on me saying, well, you failed mom because, you know, you only have this many likes on this post or whatever, you know, they, they, and I say, you know, what's completion versus perfection guys. You know, we, we talk about this stuff a lot. Oh, it's so wonderful. But I'm so, I need to pay attention to, I have, I'm so conscious of wanting failure to be this experience of learning. But I wonder if my kids are like now internalizing the idea that the imperfect is failure. I'm just positive about failure, which is not (laughs) at all what my message is. And I totally thank you for being here for this moment of aha for me. But it's near impossible to think that we can imagine our children growing up and finding their unicorn space and wanting to have that flow experience and thrive in any way if we're like, but we don't have time. We'll do it in three months. (laughs) Right. But also I think something that's really important, especially to your audience, was something that Tova Klein said to me in Fair Play. She's a psychologist out of Barnard. That so many people. Yes, she's been on the podcast. Oh, she a yes. Times, okay, Tova. Yes, um, <laughs> I forgot. Yes, I actually listened to her on, on this podcast. So shout out to Tova. But and it's also my middle name. So I I I love her for that. Oh. But she, when I interviewed her for Fair Play, her concern about unicorn space was she wanted me to make a distinction really clearly that unicorn space is not the perfection of your children. Unicorn space is not taking your unfulfilled dream and putting it on your child. It's not saying to your child, you are going to become a professional baseball player because I didn't get to do that. Um, You're going to be a professional ballet dancer because that's always been my dream to be in the Alvin Ailey um, company, right? So Mm -hmm. I think it's a really important point to understand that not only is it helpful for your kids to watch you model your own unicorn space. But when you can differentiate from them and understand that you are a full person and not merged with your children, I think there's a lot of psychological benefits. I'll leave that to you since I'm the lawyer and and organizational management specialist, but I can imagine that that differentiation is a good thing. Well, I mean, broadly speaking, a boundary is that the problem with not having 
boundaries is that there is no distinction between you and your child or their feelings or their experiences and your experience. So what you're talking about is incredibly relevant and important for psychological well-being. And absolutely, it does, yeah, it does not count as a unicorn space if you're putting that flow, time, energy, creativity, connection into you're fulfilling your dreams through your child, even if it is the most well-meaning, I didn't have this opportunity, I want to give it to you. That's not unicorn space. And that's not what you're talking about. No, but I will say, I just want to make a distinction that if you are sharing yourself with the world to connect the generations, that's okay. So I have, you know, this, my friend Tiffany, her mother's Cantonese recipes, she wants to take those recipes from her mother, capture them before her mother dies, and then teach her son and daughter how to cook those recipes. That's a beautiful unicorn space. Yeah. But that's different than making it the perfection perfection of your kids. So I just want to make sure that that distinction is there. If your motivation is to connect the generations, that's beautiful that we're talking about the unicorn space gone wild idea of, of unfulfilled <laughs> dreams. So there, there's a distinction. I love <laughs> I love that unicorn space gone wild. Okay, so, and all those distinctions are super helpful. How about, I feel like I'm grilling you, but you just have such great, it's just so concrete. I think that's what it is that's so incredible is that these ideas, especially if you think about the name unicorn space, it feels so unattainable. Right, right. And then it's so attainable and it's so doable and and it feels so manageable and that to me is gold how can people learn to say no better well i think about keisha she is somebody who was having a really really hard time saying no at work because she actually didn't have children and she kept saying you know they're sort of pitting me against the parents i'm getting resentful of them because they get to sign off at 5 to you know go make their kids dinner and i'm always on and sometimes, actually, unicorn space, it does two things with boundaries and with friendships, actually, Eliza. So what we found with boundaries and with friendship is that if you say, I'm going to set a boundary, or you say, I want to go have a, get a friend, it's harder to do than you think. But if you have a unicorn space, so what we saw in the, in the data was that Keisha signed up for a mixology class. It was from some cool guy in England. And it was a whiskey sour class. There's all these sours. Apparently that's a thing. And she was learning mocktails and cocktails. <laughs> she made friends all over the world from this class, which she told me, which was so cool. But also it made her say no, because she had to have the courage to say to her boss on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 530, I'm taking this mixology class. Happy to share my mocktail recipes with the team, a team building exercise, but I need Mm. to be off. This is really important to me. And creativity makes me more productive. So sometimes saying no is actually really being intentional about those, those decisions to say yes to the other things that fulfill that curiosity and or connection and or completion parts of you. And I find that that happened over and over again. The other way to say no, besides claiming a unicorn space and just starting, is the role of spiritual friends. So I call them spiritual friends. I just mean a friend who shows up for you when you need them. Aliza, you're a spiritual friend. We've never even met in person. 
because there's mm. synergies in what we're doing. And I feel that way, really. And the spiritual friendships are really important for boundary setting because we now know that if you have an accountability partner, your likelihood of success goes up by about 60%. If you have a success partner, someone who does it with you, ding, 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 you're almost at 100% success rate of whatever that is. So set a boundary by bringing a friend on your journey. Not the old friend that may be naysaying you, but the person that you say, okay, Aliza, I want to start a podcast. Can you be my first guest, right? You're bringing people along with you on your journey. And then that activates the boundary setting because you want to keep doing that thing. And then you have to Mm -hmm. set boundaries. And maybe you choose the spiritual friend who's not so comfortable with you that you don't have to be held accountable. Correct. Well, that's, again, why you would be a good spiritual friend for me because we're still in getting to know each other. So maybe... Um, another oh, spir- another spiritual friend for me is a friend now, um, shout out to Laura. Uh, she's also in the Reese's Book Club. And we said like, let's just write together. Let's just have one day where we don't talk to each other, but we keep each other accountable to uninterrupted attention, which means we both will keep our phones off the desk. Guilt and shame won't come in for us to leave early to pick up our kids, um, but that we actually mm-hmm. will commit to writing, to completing a chapter that day with each other. It is so helpful to set boundaries with that type of friend. As long as, as Sandy Zimmerman, one of my favorite interviews, the oldest woman PE teacher who rang the red buzzer on American Ninja Warrior. Her advice though was be very careful with whom you share your dreams. Because often it's not your partner first because they have a lot of other motivations maybe to to say, what? You're writing another book as Seth was doing initially. (laughs) People who know you maybe too well to say, well, why would you want to do that? Delicate dreams should be shared very, very specifically with people that are intentional that you know will support those those dreams. You're so right. You really do. That is such a great point. I'm just thinking about different dreams, projects, unicorn spaces where you can almost imagine, and I, I do this all the time with the kids and with you know, advice about other things, but it hadn't occurred to me in this space of like, who is that wise friend? And I think yours is that spiritual friend. And what is the voice that they're going to give you? And that's the one to listen to versus all of these other people who might very much love you, but just don't know how to use the voice that is going to promote your best unicorn space self. Absolutely. I mean, and I had so many people say to me, well, your your day job is you know, you work for these very high net worth families. And if you write a book, don't you think that'll affect your career? Uh, These people are really private. They're going to worry. You're going to share about them. You know, there were a lot of people who did not have advice, Elisa, that I would say was helpful to this iteration of who I am. Often there were people who really just wanted to talk about our kids. Same thing. We're happy to call me Zach's mom and erase me as a human too. I mean, there's just... There's different people out there, but when you find the good ones, you know, you know, it's like a good melon, as they said, and when Harry met Sally. (laughs) I really just rewatched that recently. So I actually remember (laughs) if someone's identity is deeply wrapped in their being in their motherhood, for example, and this is a struggle because they feel like their unicorn space is their motherhood which I'm sure you have heard before, even though it doesn't necessarily 
capture what you're trying to capture, I can still hear it. And I wonder, how do you have an open and compassion heart and support for a mom who does feel that way so that there's no shame in feeling that way and also getting a little bit out of that space to be open to finding your own space? Such a great question. I think what I would say is we get to be more than one thing. How cool is that? We get to be more than one thing. You know, you can be a parent and a pilot as this one woman did. Or my one of my favorite stories is a woman named Renee, who is a great mother. She has four children, two boys and two girls. And at 56, she said, you know what? I realized that my children are being done a disservice because they don't know anything about me. It's been a one-way conversation for 25 years wow. with, with these kids. It's a one-way conversation. And yes, kids are supposed to be narcissistic. And yes, it's all supposed to be about them. But this is a service for them to, to know who I am, for me to tell my stories when I'm, I have an active legacy, when I'm not dead. And so for her, it was this need for speed. She had this dream to be in speed because she had been at rest for a long time. And so she's like, what would it, how, I'm going to get curious about what it would look like to race a car. And at 56, the best type of car racing she felt like for her agility and her age was rally car racing, which is across entire countries and continents. And now at 67, she's one of the top rally car racers in the world. And she's in Antarctica right now. So yeah, we don't have to all become (laughs) the top rally car racer in the world and be in in Antarctica. (laughs) But I will say that her daughter, Christine, said something really important to me that the best thing that happened to her as a child was to become proud of her parent. And so what I could say is that it doesn't mean that Renee is not there for her children, but it means we can be more than one thing. And that's the thing that made me so excited was to watch the accountant that was also the author, that was also the parent. It was the poet that was also the parent, the pilot that was also the parent. And so that's what I would say. I would say, you're not giving anything up. It's um, instead of an either or, look at it as a both and. I get to be both a parent, amazing parent and fill in the blank. This world needs more both ands about feelings, about life, about choices, about space. Both and is a great answer. And also it leaves doors open. For curiosity, like we said. And I hear you. If you're out there like my friend who said, the only thing I'm curious about, Eve, is scrolling my friend's Venmo transactions. I see you, but it's in there. It's in there. Your values-based curiosity, understanding where your values are today, which, Aliza, you've talked about in other contexts, and connecting them to how you could be curious about the world. It could just start with literally browsing Barnes & Noble. Go to your, your local indie bookstore and just look around and say, what section of this bookstore am I drawn to? People have started so small and it's been really fun to hear how they started and where they are in their journeys. Let's do a call to action of just that because what a fun idea. And I would even, like I'm thinking, going into a bookstore and deciding which section you're really drawn to deep, deep down. No one's looking. You don't have to impress your kids. You don't have to 
You don't have to buy you know, anything. We're not even telling you. you to buy anything here. Just go and look. Nothing. Just go, Just right. go and look. And I, I love that. It's such a great way to remind you what you really, you know, who you really are. And it's possible that on a different day, you're going to go into different sections and, you know, both and. Both and. Both and. And, and one, another and. version of that, if you want to do one last homework assignment, that's a, a deeper version of that. I would say in the next week, wake up, Say to yourself, the most important decision I will make today will be outside my roles as a parent and or partner and or professional. One day next week, make the most important thing you do that day outside of your roles. Can you give me an example? Well, this. I mean, again, I have the privilege now of having unicorn space also as part of my profession, but my most important thing today is this podcast, is being talking with you. Doesn't mean I won't love hanging out with my kids later or doing work for my, my I have a client contract due this week. Sorry, Carol. Uh, my client work has sort of <laughs> become the second tier to this gender activism work. But th- that's what I mean. It's just, it, you become my armor. So I'll leave here being like, wow, what an amazing, what an amazing thing. One day it could be you're writing your chapter of your book. One day could be writing down the Cantonese recipes. The day that you browse the bookstore, I will argue the most important thing you do that day is browsing that bookstore to see where, you know, where you gravitate. That's what I mean. Nothing too major, but understanding that there are things that you can start to pay attention to. And your attention is actually what leads to decision-making. And that's really what gender justice activism is about. It's helping understand that women are often not in charge of our own decisions. They're made by our partners, our schools, our state's rights, um, our federal rights. So that reclaiming Mm -hmm. of the agency to make our own decisions. And during this very difficult, challenging, changing time, the sense that you have some control over anything is so deeply powerful. And so a control over decision is so much more valuable right now than ever. Absolutely. And that's our gift to you. We're here to say, you know, we know this is not easy. Um, There's a lot of hurdles that have been put in our way. It's going to rain, but you deserve an umbrella. You deserve an umbrella. 